Welcome to our Clothed with the Sun daily podcast, our reading and meditation on the gospel of the day. I am James Thomas. Today is Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. It is the feast of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. It is also a Christmas weekday on the way to the Epiphany. And our reading today is from the gospel according to St. John. John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two, the two disciples heard what he said and followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother Simon and told him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated Christ. Then he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. So we continue forward today with our Christmas readings. We have now still the first chapter of St. John, and we are reading the story of John the Baptist. I love it when we read John's gospel. We don't get enough of it. <laughs> well, we do. We Throughout the the Sunday three-year cycle and the uh, weekday two-year cycle, we do get a lot of the essential readings. But John goes a little deeper. He tells a little more of the story. And here we have Andrew and another disciple following Jesus because John pointed him out. We've been talking the past few days about who are you in Christ and who is Jesus John has already identified him as the Lamb of God. He's doing it again. Behold the Lamb of God. Then again, it could just be the one time reported in different ways. And so John is identifying he is the Messiah. John is identifying he is the one who will suffer for us and die for us, according to Isaiah 52 and 53. These disciples, they're following John, well, for a lot of reasons. They, they're awaiting the Messiah. They want salvation. They are interested in turning away from their sins. They desire what Jesus is, who Jesus is, what Jesus possesses for them. And who knows all the different desires in their hearts. And so they follow, and then it's automatic that they want to lead others to Jesus. And thank God for that, because they lead Peter to Jesus, Simon Peter who is going to become the head of the apostles. He's going to become our first pope. So there's so much wrapped up in here, but I wanted to uh, connect this gospel reading to our feast for the day. Our feast is St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. This theme of falling in love with Jesus, saying to him and doing it, I'll follow you wherever you go. And then being so on fire with love for Jesus, you want to lead everybody. You want to lead as many people as you can to the Lord Jesus. How many of us feel that way? So Mother Seton, we're talking about the early 1800s. Elizabeth Ann Seton 
was, I believe, Anglican. I don't know if at that point they were calling it Episcopal. The Episcopal Church in America is the uh, American version of the Anglican Church. And she was married. They had a few children. They lived in New York City. And her husband got very sick and he died. And she, I, they were actually on a trip together. They were going on a trip. They had some friends that lived in Italy. Their friends were Catholic. And they were, so they had some money. And they were an affluent family and they had a lot of friends. And their friends, uh, they prayed together, but they also socialized a lot together. Anyway, she was on her way to Europe with her husband and he got sick and he died. So she completed the trip and she went to stay with her friends. And while other people were taking care of her children back home, her friends said it was okay for her to stay with them and mourn and just take all the time she needed because she was so devastated at the loss of her husband. Now, her friends were Catholic, and they were also very wealthy themselves, and they had their own Eucharistic chapel off to the side of their property. And so Elizabeth used to go into that chapel to pray. The chapel also, it had the Eucharist and the tabernacle in the front of the chapel, but also there was a statue of the Blessed Mother. And she asked them about their Catholic belief. She didn't know a lot of different things. She knew some of these things. An Episcopalian, at least in its essence, is, uh, I mean, nowadays, mainline churches are shrinking. But, yeah, there are some similarities in their essence. And, um, in fact, we even believe as Catholics there are some Anglican bishops and priests that still have valid orders because they have not broken the line Um even after Henry VIII made himself the head of the Church of England and therefore broke with Rome, uh, there are still some lines uh, of um, succession from the apostles in terms of ordination that continue into the Anglican Church. In the Episcopalian Church, most of that has been lost. And this is why, um, yeah, I mean, in the Anglican Church, I mean, we don't know for sure if a man is a priest as an Episcopalian or an Anglican, and he wants to come over to the Catholic Church, it's usually permitted, but usually there's a conditional reordination. Anyway, that's all neither here nor there. A little side note. But Mother Seton, St. Elizabeth, she continued to pray day after day in that chapel, and she learned about Our Lady and the importance of devotion to Mary. She learned about the Eucharist and the true presence of Jesus and she healed. This is what happens when people spend time in the presence of the Eucharist. There's a healing that takes place. It's like rays of the sun warming your body, except this sun is S-O-N. And so finally, she felt well enough to go back home to see her kids again. And when she got home and she was greeted by all her family and friends and started to attend church again in New York City, she found herself, while she was praying, turning towards the Catholic Church down the street because she believed that's the true presence of Jesus in that Catholic Church in the Eucharist. So after a while, she said, this is ridiculous. I can't keep going to this church when I don't believe this church is the true church anymore. I believe the Catholic Church is the true church. So she started attending the Catholic Church in New York City. She started bringing her kids with her, and then her friends and her family abandoned her. And with her husband no longer living and the source of income no longer there, she lost where she was living. She lost her home. She lost her wealth. 
she now lived in poverty and worked it out so that she had a place to stay. But knowing that there was such a big difference, and really it was a time of great persecution of Catholics, she and her Catholic friends started to come up with a plan of homeschooling their kids. Wow, this sounds so familiar. Isn't it funny how history repeats itself and it doesn't take that long? So she and her friends started to homeschool their children. And little by little over time, they were very good at it. They were very zealous for the faith. They were very good educators. And more and more, this started to develop this way of doing things. And well, the bishop, the newly uh, consecrated bishop, John Carroll in Baltimore, the first, uh, the first bishop in America, really, in the first diocese in America, all of America was under Baltimore originally, and then they started to split off into smaller dioceses. Uh, the bishop in Baltimore called her. Uh, well, they didn't have phones, but he, you know, he contacted her. He brought her to Baltimore, and he said, I would like to start a Catholic school system in America, even though the public schools were pretty good. And they were very religious. They taught God in the public schools. That was why the public schools were founded. Isn't this an amazing concept? They were founded by Protestants, and they taught the Bible in public schools. Ah, <laughs> would that we could go back to former days compared to what we have now. You're not allowed to mention God's name in a school, although you can mention all kinds of other weird things, and all that's fine. We've flipped to the opposite side. Anyway, the bishop allowed her to establish a place in Emmitsburg, Maryland. I've been to this place many times. Initially, they really lived in poverty. They had a little schoolhouse where the teachers also lived. They also, some of them had children, such as Elizabeth did. And they really struggled just to survive. To survive the cold, harsh winters, especially. But little by little, they got students. They built up their school. They built larger buildings. With additional funds coming in, they did better providing for themselves food and clothing and heat, and this began the Catholic school system in America. To know this story helps us to remember and understand exactly what it is if we're involved in education, what it is we're supposed to be thinking and doing, how we're supposed to be acting, how we're supposed to be teaching. It started with a woman of faith whose faith grew deeper, and she fell in love with Jesus in the Eucharist. This is like John the Baptist pointing out to his friends, Behold the Lamb of God. And they followed him, and they became his disciples, and they followed wherever he went. They fell in love with the Messiah. And then the Messiah, after forming them, living with them, teaching them, he gives them jobs, he gives them assignments, and they become these great bishops. They go around the world and evangelize everyone and ultimately give their lives. St. Elizabeth Ann Seton did not die as a martyr, but she suffered greatly for the Catholic school system to be founded. She made many, many sacrifices. She never remarried. She dedicated her life to God. They founded an order of sisters, and the Catholic school system grew. And then not long after this, we have John Newman. I mean, this all happened so quickly. It happened so fast. John Newman in Philadelphia, who was a saint, the fourth bishop of Philadelphia, whose feast is tomorrow, by the way. We have him just bringing in so many orders from Europe, 
some of them, I mean, the whole teaching phenomenon, the whole idea that a school is connected to a parish, this was just beginning. And America had so much to do with it. There were some schools, some teaching orders in Europe, and he just started bringing them all into Philadelphia. He flooded Philadelphia with nuns. And then they opened up all these schools. Some of them had already been teaching, some of them not. But it started the Catholic school system. And by the way, in Philadelphia, it's still strong. (laughs) The rest of the country, it's fallen apart. But Philadelphia has the constant prayers of St. John Newman. Anyway, we'll talk about him more tomorrow. But St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, I mean, it was all about Jesus. That's the bottom line. It was all about Jesus, her love for Jesus, and then she conveyed that love for Jesus to her students. They taught them academics. They did a good job of teaching those academics. It was said, it's always been said, Catholics have a certain discipline, a certain rigor. So when we take on other secular things, we always do well with those things too. George Washington noted this in the Continental Army. He said at one point that his Catholic soldiers were his best soldiers because they had a certain discipline, a certain regiment to them. So Mother Seton succeeded with her schools, but she succeeded in forming a generation of young Catholics through these schools that then paved the way for so much more. And yes, we're living in a day and age where around our country, so many of our schools are shutting down. And when you go to so many Catholic schools, you see that Jesus is not the center of everything. Jesus is not being taught except in some very superficial manner. I was reading a book yesterday talking about the real religion in America. Sometimes people call it Christian or Catholic or whatever, but it's a religion of ease and convenience and denial. It's a religion that does not promote conversion and virtue and challenging people on the difficult issues. And many of our priests, many of our leaders have fallen into this where they just want everything to be simple and easy, and they don't want to make strong stands that Christianity and Catholicism demand. Strong stands that will perhaps at times require a type of martyrdom, perhaps a red martyrdom in the long run, but at least a white martyrdom, a suffering in this life, because people stand up for the truth, because we stand up for Jesus and the truth, and we make it all about Jesus and his teachings while we're spreading and promoting the faith, while we're living our faith, while we're teaching our children. So we need to reclaim this. So it's a beautiful feast. And I mean, there's so many things that I'm inspired by when I think about Elizabeth Ann Seton, when I go to her shrine, when I pray to her, when I read about her life, I'm inspired to be all the more a good teacher to our young people. I'm inspired all the more to see we need to start over, whether it's through homeschooling, whether it's through re-bolstering our Catholic schools, reforming our Catholic schools. A lot of that needs to happen. Uh, But it just, I mean, and it gets back to the parents as well. Mother Seton started as a homeschool community, the parents educating their children. And it's not, they didn't form these schools because they wanted to take responsibility to form your children away from parents. Because that always remains. That's the most important thing. Teachers are only with their students so many hours a day. Parents, they're the ones that have to form their children in the faith for the sake of their salvation. It's the number one duty of Catholic parents to get their kids to heaven. However, when you have a Catholic school that is supporting the work of the parents, that's teaching children prayer, 
and penance and just understanding Jesus, who Jesus is, understanding salvation, understanding the church, understanding the mysteries of our faith. We, we, this is so important. We need this. We need this, especially in a world where everything and everybody is against us. And at that time, you know, secular society wasn't really all that secular. It's true that it was, uh, it was Christian. However, that Christianity was mostly Protestant. And in that, there was a lot of anti-Catholic sentiment. There was a lot of persecution of Catholics among our Christian brothers and sisters. And so this made Catholicism grow tremendously in this country. And uh, so it makes me want to be the best teacher that I can be, especially focusing everything on Jesus and a relationship with Jesus. But it also makes me want to just fall in love more and more deeply over and over again with Our Lady and with the Eucharist, these two motivations that led Elizabeth Ann Seton to, to do what she did. The two things that, Mary, that Elizabeth Ann Seton fell in love with were Jesus in the Eucharist and Our Blessed Mother that led her to begin her quest to Catholicism and to uh, bringing about so much reform in the American Catholic Church, so much growth. So we pray through her intercession today for reform of our church, especially of our system of education, and uh, hopefully we are inspired by her to fall more and more deeply in love with Jesus. Have a great day, everyone. God bless you.